I'm here today. I'm kicking off our, our Thanksgiving services. You say a week early. Well, I don't know about you. Where we are is um, in 2020, it seems like everybody has this thought pattern and this mentality that they're already moving into Christmas. You know, the girls the other day, we had to have the argument. Alexis and Haley were like, Dad, we're ready to put the Christmas tree up. And like, girls, y'all know we don't ever put that thing up until Christmas, I mean, until Thanksgiving after dinner. We do that Thanksgiving night. They're like, no, we're just ready for it. And I've looked all over. I've been watching people in places all over the Internet, and they're saying, you know, we're just so ready for 2020 to be over. We're ready to move into Christmas. And even me and uh, Haley were in downtown El Dorado 5 o'clock uh, yesterday morning, and all the Christmas lights were up. I was like, check that out. People have jumped right past Thanksgiving this year and went on and moved into Christmas because they're so ready for this year to be over. But, hey, I want to put the brakes on some things today. And I want to give this church two weeks to talk about Thanksgiving today. And Jason David will be doing with this next week. But then we will be moving into that, into the holiday season. But Thanksgiving is something we're supposed to live every day. Amen? So I'm going to jump right into it today. What a great day. To praise the Lord. Like I say, I, I truly came today. If nothing else happens, I feel like today was a success. I got to praise and give glory to God about my three-year-old daughter that's been in a full-body cast for the last six months, walked across and climbed on a stage, which I believe she will spend the rest of her life standing on declaring the glory of God because of what the devil did. I'm just going to be honest with you. So I'm here to praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but let me ask you this. If no one else does... Will you be the one? That's my question today as we go into this message. Will you be the one? Will you be the one no matter what everybody else does? Will you be the one that no matter what else happens or how you feel or what's going on, will you be the one that when it's time, yeah, you can take it, I'm done with all that stuff. Will you be the one that when it's time, when you have the chance when there's an opportunity for you to turn and say, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. Because today is a day that we have an opportunity to actually come together and praise the Lord. We come to church for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, there have been times I came to church because I desperately needed a miracle of God in my life. And I don't know how I could have faced Monday without it. And I came to church for those reasons. There were times that I would come into church because that's where all the pretty girls went on Sunday. And so I would go to church then. There were times that I would, you know, go because my mom and dad made me. That was most of my childhood life. I only went to church because mom and dad made me. But now I finally had enough encounters with the Lord that if if no one else came for any other reason, I've decided I'm going to be the one that will show up if I get nothing else out of it but to give God the glory. I want to make some sense out of that just for a minute with you. I don't plan on taking long, but I believe if I can leave you with anything going out of 2020, coming into 2021, is that God just needs one. That will be willing to say thank you. A lot of times Thanksgiving is misinterpreted as a noun. When you, when you take the word thank, because we've turned it into a holiday or we've turned it into a celebration and we, we've turned the Thanksgiving mentality, terminology, even the definition of the word into a noun. Thanksgiving though is not a noun. Although we have nationalized the holiday, Thanksgiving is a verb. Thanksgiving is not a thought. That's a noun. Thanksgiving is not a heart. 
That's a noun. Thanksgiving is not an intention. Thanksgiving is not an attitude. People try to say, oh, you know, I gotta, you need to add the attitude of gratefulness. Thanksgiving is not an attitude. Thanksgiving is a verb. It's an action. It must be taken. It must be effort implied and results come out. You know, Thanksgiving is probably one of the most powerful tools in the Bible that we as Christians have been given. We have the ability to take what God has done for us. And so that's us receiving, that's God giving us, and us taking what God has done for us and us transforming it, not into a noun, but us transforming it into an action. And it allows us to move into saying, God, look what you've done. So now I can do this. And in return, we give thanks to him. You're saying, it is a powerful tool. You know, one of my favorite of all time commercials that have stuck with me all through the years you know, some of you older guys will remember this is and I always keep this. If you come into my house, this stays usually up on my dresser until Jennifer moves it. And then I put it back and she moves it. I put it back. But I keep one of these old timey things sitting there and it's called the clapper. How many of you guys remember the clapper? And I guarantee you, if I start the song that you can sing it with me, it had that clap on, you know, clap on, clap off. Clap on, clap off the clapper, right? It was a revolutionary invention in the 80s that was all the rave. And now you have to either buy it at a specialty store, or you have to buy it at a specialty time, or you have to go to the as-seen-on-TV commercials because, uh, I mean, uh, ours, because they're so now past what they say, um, reliable or technology or times. But man, I always have to be reminded that my box is bad or stuff because I've had this for years. And I keep it, I'm not opening it yet because if I open it, then I might not can see the name looking at me constantly. But see, the power of God is a lot like a clapper. See, in this, if I were to take at our house, I took this out of the box and I plugged it into the wall, I could take any electrical appliance, walk it over to this, and plug it into the clapper. And now, my house being connected to the grid, and it's connected to a power source that comes through the transformers down the lines, the power comes into my breaker box and feeds my whole house, and all the outlets are now hot. You plug this into it, then I take a a um, any appliance, light, anything, and plug into this, you know, now it has everything it needs to function, work, and come on. But the thing about it is, it takes a certain action before the power that is available in all the wiring and design and plan that went into our grid system to be released. And when you involve one of these, all it takes is a motion, a sound, and an action. I could sit there and thinking. Hoping, want this clapper to work all day long. But until I do the, the power's not released. See, the power of God in our life has to be released through an action. God has two things that work for you. One, grace. Another is mercy. Now, when you came into the relationship with God, you came in through the door of mercy. None of us deserved it. None of us deserve salvation. So it was the mercy of God that brought you into the kingdom. Now, for the kingdom to be activated into your life, it takes grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Power that you don't obtain on yourself and you can't earn good enough to do. It takes you at that point letting the grace of God flow through your life. And when the grace of God flows through your life, there's nothing you can't do. He says, my grace is sufficient. But the thing about it is, 
Grace has to be activated. And in the clapper sense, the clapper has to be a clap. Pop, pop. The action has to be made. And when the action is made, this thing was designed to release power. That that lamp or that blow dryer or that curling iron. Thank the Lord for all the products that they have. You know, we can't release all that stuff into our lives for us to have, have they take advantage of without there being a thing. That's what Thanksgiving is. And God has everything you need. Bible says, no eye has seen, no ears heard. The good things that God has in store for those that love Him. Thing about it is, most people live their life. Only eating crumbs of what God has available for them. Because honestly, we keep ourselves in a place of having to live on the mercy of God. We live a life that stays right on the borderline of grace and mercy. What that means is this. We live a life the way we want to, how we want to, where we want to. And then we will stand and we'll cry out when we find ourselves in a mess or in a place. God, give me your mercy. I'm so thankful the Bible says God's mercies are never ending. And God does. And I promise you, there's not a person sitting in this room today that hasn't is not here because of the mercy of God in your life. You know, he 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 looked down and said, you know, I love them so much. I'm I'm just going to do this. And they did it. But there's also another line you can step over that once you've received the mercies of God, you can move into living a life of grace. And grace said, and I'll explain it to you here in this story. We're going to go to Luke chapter 17, verse 11, real fast. Not a lot of scripture reading, but probably one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. It says this, it says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, this being Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now in the NIV, this is what the Bible says. It says, Now Jesus went into, um, went, came up to the border of, of Samaria and Galilee. He was right on the state line, if that makes any sense. And I just talked about most people live their life and stay on on the mercy side of God. We live on this side of the border and we're constantly needing the mercies of God in our life. But we could just cross over the line, you know, just a few miles from here. I can be standing in a city and on one side I can be in Arkansas and I can go into a gas station on the other side and I'm in Louisiana. They're in Junction City. It's a state line thing. And that's how most people live their life is. They don't realize they, they stay constantly living in a place of mercy. They're needing God's mercy to rescue them. God's mercy to heal them. God's mercy to care for them. God's mercy to fix their family and their finances. But you need to understand there is another side of this border that allows grace. And grace means unmerited favor. That means you're not having to beg from God just dumping it on you. Man, that's a place to live where you can't outrun the goodness of God because it's undeserved and is unmarried, but it's a gift that he just loves to give. And this is what it says. It says it happened and Jesus was in, uh, when he went to Jerusalem, he came to the place where he was on the border of Samaria and he was on the border of Galilee. And the Bible says this. And then he entered into a certain village. And if you, it's kind of like Junction City. There's a place we could draw the line, okay? Right there. State, state separated right there. It says, and he entered into a certain village. There he met ten men who were lepers who stood afar. It says, and they filled up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. So as it says, and so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned with a loud voice glorifying God. Now, he didn't just, thank you. He says it was a loud voice. 
boisterous voice. And one translation says, he yelled at the top of his lungs. I love those. I can't always read those super modern translations because I get lost in them. But I love how they even went into expression saying, yeah, he yelled at the top of his lungs. Right? He said he yelled with the voice that glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks as he was a Samaritan. So Jesus, I love that. All right, so I'll, I got to keep from breaking it up so far. So, so Jesus answered and said, were, were there, there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole, one translation says. And this one says, well. That actually comes out of a, a root word that means lacking nothing. You come to a place lacking nothing. Now, to explain this story just a little bit, in those days, there was a disease that was rampant upon the face of the earth. And that disease was highly contagious. And that disease, though, if you were exposed to it, that disease would move into your nervous system and cause nerves to inflame. And it would begin to burn and hurt on the areas of your body. And you would scratch and pick and cause sores, trying to relieve the pain. When, the, when it would open up sores, because of the inflamed nerves, it would infect. And then what happened is um, decay and rot would begin to enter in through those wounds. And it would get to the point where literally body parts would begin to fall off. It would start in your small extremities. Some people would get it on their nose. Some would get it on their ears. Some people would get it in their fingers, on their toes. But it wouldn't stay there. It would eventually spread across their whole body, causing these lesions, these sores that could never heal, causing rot to begin to just cause body parts to fall away. This was a dirty, dirty disease. That's why they called it a dirty disease. And in those days, since there was no cure for leprosy, they would take people and they, if you were, if there were physical signs of leprosy on you. Now, you need to understand, how did the people know they got leprosy? Well, you, there were physical signs. It was an outside appearance of a disease. You could look at somebody and tell that this was there. The Bible says that there was a group of priests. The priests, you would, if the priests, if you were afraid you had leprosy or there were signs of leprosy, or somebody reported you of leprosy, you would go to the priests and the priests would look at you and they would have to decide and pass a judgment whether you had leprosy or not. The priest got to make that call. And so when the priest would make that call, if they called it leprosy, then you would be moved into a leprosy communion, com, commune, or you would, you'd be put outside of towns. You would not be allowed to interact with people. You were uh, ostracized and put out because you were deemed unclean because it was such a highly infectious disease. And so you were not allowed to come into contact with anyone that did not have this disease. And so if your family wasn't deemed, wasn't judged that they had it, you weren't allowed to see your family. If you're, you know, your boss, you weren't allowed, you had to live on the outskirts in a way. And it was against the law, if you had this, to approach people or to come to people that did not have leprosy as well. So if you were walking down the street and there were some lepers coming towards you, they would have to begin to cry out, we're lepers, we're lepers, so that you could know to avoid them. Because if they did not give you the warning sign, it was against the law for them because they would expose you to this thing. Now, saying that to say this, the Bible says there were ten of these guys that all had them. Now, it was a weird group of ten because uh, the Bible says that they were... They, this illness or this disease actually put groups of people that normally wouldn't hang out together together because it was Jews in this group and Samaritans in this group of 10 because we know that because when the one that came back, Jesus said, hey, why, wasn't there nine of you guys or 10 of you guys? But 
the foreigner, the Samaritan, came here. In other words, this was one that did not even really have, wasn't raised up in the knowledge of knowing who Jesus was, not knowing that the Messiah was going to come. And so this one was different than the others. I don't know if there were any more, but it does mention this one was there. So this was a mixed racial, cultural group of people that in real life, they were prejudiced against each other altogether. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans, just the way it was. And so racism existed way back when and then. It's not just a new thing we deal with now. But so the Bible says that these guys stood up on a hill and they began to holler. It says Jesus was walking down the border and these men began to holler, Jesus, have mercy. It says, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I want to stop and just go through some things real quick with you real fast. First thing that stands out to me is this, where these guys were standing. The Bible says they were standing afar. You know, you would think if, because they obviously knew who he was, they had heard about his miracles, they had heard because they called him by name. They didn't say, hey, guy that's walking down the road that everybody's following. No, they called him by name. So they knew Jesus. And so in times past, and when you're reading in the scriptures, there were people that had heard of Jesus, and they did not stand afar. As a matter of fact, most of the people that had heard of Jesus at that point, when they knew Jesus, the Bible says when the woman with the issue of blood had heard that Jesus was passing by, says she got up, she went, she pressed through the crowd, and even though she was deemed unclean, she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. She didn't care what the law was. She was willing to get to Jesus. And that's the concept most people have is, you know, if I can just get to Jesus. The, uh, even Jairus's son, Jairus, when he came, his daughter died. He said, Jesus, if you'll just come. It was get Jesus, but not these guys. For some reason, these guys were standing up, it says, a far away. One was standing up on a hill, and they began to holler, Jesus uh, master, have mercy on us. And this got me thinking, why were they standing afar? If I had their condition and Jesus had what I needed, I would run down there to him. But obviously, they have been put in situations where the Christian folk or the followers of Jesus or the religious people that usually surround the people or surround the things of God were put there in place. They had obviously had a past experience with them and they understood that religion is a mean thing and religious is hard. And they had obviously had past experiences with religion to where now they're gun shy. Jesus is there, but they're up here because they've been hurt, bothered, offended, or judged by religious situations in the past. And that makes me think, are we a church that allows religion to keep those that need Jesus from being able to get to the feet? Because for some reason, these guys, religion's a hard thing. Man, when you take religion out of, and take Jesus out of religion, you find a thing that will judge people for their past, judge people for their circumstances, judge people for what they are. It, will, it was actually, they were actually, it was the religious people of those days that actually looked at these ten and deemed them unclean, unworthy, that they must stay at the top of the hill and stay clear of us because we're obviously better because we do this or they, we act like this. And so I, I'm here to say, you know, I think these Guys, they, they longed to be able to get to Jesus, but religion had put up a barrier that they couldn't get through. And I want to thank the Lord that we're not that kind of church. You know, there were days where I purposely wore suits and ties because I thought that's what religious people do. Now I purposely don't because I don't ever want to be judged as a church that says that, you know what, 
We're so religious if you don't look like us, walk like us, talk like us, that you don't deserve to get to Jesus. So thankful that religion is not the answer to Jesus. Relationship is the answer to Jesus. And you don't have to, no matter what you've been through, where you come from, what you're looking like, what you're missing in your life, what's done rotted away and fell, what what you've been exposed to in the past has an effect on you now, will keep you from being able to get to a place where Jesus can move in your life. There's no disqualified when it comes to relationship. Now, religion will do different. And I believe that honestly. And I got to be honest with you, I grew up in church. I'm a church boy. I've never been hurt more by churches in my life. I've also never had God do greater things in my life than through the church. And so I just decided if there are religious people involved, think that's okay. As long as Jesus is in the middle of them, I'm still going to be involved. And so if you've been hurt, bothered, hurt, and offended by a church in your past, I want you to know something. You can still connect with Jesus, although there's religious people everywhere. And what you know, it don't matter how bad or what kind of shape you come into. Keep coming. Because the next thing I want to talk about is this. They began to holler out Jesus. Then they put the word master, which is a weird word. The word master there. Because they didn't say Jesus Savior, Jesus Messiah. They said Jesus Master. Because these guys obviously had a full understanding of what it took to connect with who Jesus is. They knew one that even though religious people may judge you, hey, Jesus don't judge nobody for your past, your present. Your, yeah, Jesus is wanting to be involved in your life. But also what it takes is Jesus not just being a good teacher or him not just being somebody that, you know, has the answer of the power, not having them. It takes Jesus being your master. If you have to have Jesus at work in your life, you're going to, you got to understand he has to move into mastership. We say, what is mastership? means he gets to be the Lord of your life. He's not just an experience. He's not just something you go pray and walk away. He gets the right for when he becomes your master, the master gets to tell you how to walk, gets to tell you how to talk. He gets to show you where to go. He gets to be the one in charge. So many times I tried to get God's will. Hey, Casey. Congratulations for that beautiful little girl, man. Look at that. I meant to say that a while ago. Saw y'all walk in, but I just saw a pretty smile. Congratulations. Beautiful little girl. So they understood, you know what, Jesus, if I really want your word, your blessings, your promises, your will in my life, I have to be willing to lay my will down. You cannot get God's will your way. And no matter what kind of shape you're in, Today, you may be here in the worst shape of your life, but I'm here to tell you, it can all change in a minute when you decide that, God, I'm going to quit living my way. I'm going to start living your way, and I'm going to let you be the master of my heart, master of my life, master of my world. And when he becomes your master, you become his property. And God takes care of his stuff. I'm here to tell you. He takes care of his wife. He takes at the church. The church has thrived through this COVID-19 thing all around the world. God takes care of his children. He's never missed a child support payment. God is the man when it comes to taking care of his stuff. And the Bible says... I mean, even down to, see, when he was here on earth, he was riding a donkey. The Bible says when he comes back, he's going to be riding a stallion, man. For anybody to be able to take a, st- a donkey and turn him into a stallion, that's somebody who knows how to take care of their stuff. And so Jesus, he said, if you give your life to Jesus, there's no way he's going to mess it up for you. He will only make it better. These guys understood this. So they said, Jesus, Master. Then they said this, have mercy on me. This is what I've learned in my life. I've learned this. If I want something or I need something... I should approach people that I know have it. Like if I want to borrow money, me going and asking somebody that don't have any does me no good. Does that make sense? If I need help and I, got, I go ask somebody that don't have no time, then I'm, I'm not going to get what I need from them. These guys came to Jesus fully aware knowing that what they needed, he possessed. I'm here to tell you today, guys, whatever you need today, 
Jesus has it. If you need mercy, He has it. If you need forgiveness, He has it. If he need, you need healing, He has it. If you need peace in your house, He has it. Jesus has it. And so whatever, you don't have to go looking for happiness or peace in a bottle. You don't have to go looking for what you need. Jesus has it. And you have to understand that if He has it, He's made the only reason why. You know, I go to the grocery store all the time and buy things. Uh, that I'm not supposed to. I gotta be honest. Jennifer said, you can't go to grocery no more. Cause when I go in there, I get to walking down the aisles, and I'm like, oh, the girls would love those cookies. Uh, but then I go by the, the, uh, cereal aisle, and I'll be pushing Jennifer likes healthy cereal. I'm like, man, I know Isla would love them fruity pebbles. And I go by and I find all the, so usually when I get the groceries home, Jennifer's like, we didn't need this, and we didn't need it. But I gotta be honest with you, I bought every bit of it. For those girls, because I wanted them to have it. You know, but they don't get to just go to the cabinet and get it when they want to. They'd come, hey dad, can I have this? And I give it to them because I bought it for them and I have it for them. But yet they still have to understand that it comes through me to get it. See, these guys understood Jesus had mercy, but you gotta go through him to get it. You're not going to get what God has for you any other way. Man, you can try to go find it in relationships. You can go try to find it in jobs or finances. and say You're not going to get it any other way. And these guys understood it. And the Bible says this. They began to ask Jesus for it. So he said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And um, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And the Bible said this. The Bible says that Jesus called them to them. And this is what he said. He looked at them and told them. He said, go show yourself to those. Go show yourself to the priest. Let me show you the power of God's hand wanting to be at work in your life. You know, the world, you, the enemy, the devil, has judged every one of us and told us all since the day we hit this planet what was wrong with us and why we can't be used by God, why we don't deserve anything better, why we have the lot in life that we have. I mean, we've been told and accused, and truth be matter, we've been judged. By everything on this planet from the day we hit here. And Jesus looks at him and says this. He said, go show yourself to those that have already judged you. Let me show you the powerful hand of God at work in somebody's life. See, those priests were the very ones that said, yeah, get out of town. You're sick. You've been infected with this thing and you can't be a part of it. They judged them unworthy and unclean. Now, Jesus said, go back to the very ones and have them judge you again. Because this is the power of God. God knew this. These guys have cried out to me. They've allowed me to become master of their life. They know that I have mercy and I have what they need to fix their life. And if they will take a step in obedience and do what I ask, this is my desire for them. The very people that judge them are about to see the power of God at work on their life to turn everything around what they've been accused of to be completely wrong. They were about to show the power of God on them. Why did God say go show go show the priest? Because God wants everybody you know in your life that has ever judged you in a negative way to be shown wrong because of the power of the glory of Jesus. Jesus has the power to fix it all. He don't want you to keep it a secret. He wants you to let everybody know it. The problem with it is most of us aren't willing to do what it takes to release it into our life. And so what happened was they began to cry out here for mercy. God have mercy on And Bible says the mercy of God do. And so God said this, all right, you've got my mercy. Now go show the world what I've done for you. Go let all of those that have judged you in the past, let all of those that have been dealing with you, you know, that have said you're not enough or says you're unclean or says you're not good enough or you're not a part. Go show them now what I can do when I get involved in a life. That's what Jesus told them. And the Bible says, and as they went, they were healed. 
See, a lot of times we wait for this, this boom, this miracle to happen. There's one of the greatest excuses people have about not stepping out and doing what God has created. There is because, you know, I got to get rid of this, or I got to get, I, you know, as soon as I get good enough. You know, there, how many of you guys have ever heard people say, well, as soon as, you know, I get things good enough, I'll start coming to church. Or as soon as I get some of these things worked out, I'll start coming to church. You know what? That's why they're not in church, because they're never going to get it worked out. But these people, Jesus said this, he says, if you'll start moving in obedience in your life, every step you take in obedience, the power of God will begin to be released through you in healing. So every time they took a step toward those that judged him, God did a greater work in their life. Every time they did a step, another sore healed. Every time they took another step. Now, see, the thing about it is this. We want God to do it instantaneously. And God is saying, if you'll just start walking, you'll start going. You start doing that direction. You watch. This stuff's going to start falling off of you. Scabs will begin to fall. Dry, the sores will begin to heal. And every time they, it says, as they went. So the truth of the matter is this. Sometimes we're just going to have to learn to praise in the middle of our problem. You're never going to be good enough to offer a real praise. But that's not what God wants. God wants you to just start doing it as you go. As you're going, you begin to praise in your problem. You begin to shout in your stress. You just begin to worship in your worry. And as you begin to go in those ways, God begins to heal and release in you. And so I'm so glad that, you know, I'm not what I was. I'm here to tell you, I'm not where I'm going to end up either. I'm going as I keep moving toward the things of God in my life. God keeps doing it. It says he will faithfully complete the things that he has started. I want you to know something. He has just started on you. You say, well, Cricket, he healed me from cancer. And if he healed you from cancer, then he just started on you. He's got so much more ahead of you than you could even imagine. The Bible says, no, I have seen, ears, heard the good things that God has in store for those that love him. You keep taking those steps. He keeps releasing more power. He's not just wanting to save you on the side of mercy. He's got other things for you on the side of grace. And so when you go on, as you keep going and you keep going in those directions, the power of God keeps working in your life. No one in here has arrived. If you're here, God has better things for you. God's wanting to use you in greater ways. But if you stop right here, you limit what God can do. And so you got to keep going and doing and stepping in obedience in every area you can. And as you do, the healing begins to come deeper and deeper and deeper. Then the Bible says this. And it says, and when they were healed, so their miracle came out. It came. God did what he said he was going to do. It says, and when they were healed. In other words, they got in front of those that said that they would never get to come back in. They were good for nothing. They were unclean. And they stood before them. And those that had judged them in the past looked at them and said, Man, I can't explain it, but you're healed. Because that's the only way they could have been deemed healed is those that had judged them in the past. I'm here to proclaim to somebody, those that have judged you in your past, God's going to position you in a place where even they're going to have to say they were wrong. Because the Bible says, no tongue shall rise against you that will not be shown to be in the wrong. When you allow the power of God and you keep stepping in obedience, no matter what kind of judgments, they may have been right. It don't matter. God's more powerful. And He will work in your life as you go forward. But then this is, this is what it says. It says. The Bible says, so they went and they got. But then it says, one. One out of nine, out of ten, came back. It says, and when He came back, it says, with a loud voice. With a glorifying sound. He said, thank you. I, I want to talk about how to open up or release the power of God in your life at a level for you to do things you could never do before. Last night, I was hunting with my daughter yesterday. 
I'm going to brag. She got one. Praise God. Uh, oh, by the way, how many hunters do I got in here? Are ushers in here? Raise your hand if you're a hunter. Now, if you're under the age of 18, uh, your parents going to have to give you permission. But this is what we were talking about coming into so hunting uh, opening weekend. You know, a lot of men don't come to church on opening weekend because it's opening weekend. And so I said, you know what? Real men don't live off deer meat. Real men don't live off the land. Real men live off of a connection with the Word of God. And so what I said was, let's let's find some men that really know how to survive, and let's bless them. So I knew, not just men, women, anybody that hunts, our ushers have a victory survival knife for you right now. And they're going to give it to everybody in here because you chose to do what the importance were. Even on opening Sunday, you get to do it. And these knives work because I skinned a deer with one yesterday. I, I, my daughter shot one. I got to be honest, I didn't have a whole lot of faith on it. So I didn't bring a, a skinning knife. And so when she killed one, I had to get in my truck digging through it. The only knife I had was one of our victory knives. Make sure if their parents give them one. All right? I don't want anybody's parents going, they gave them a knife. But these are our victory survivor knives. Men that don't just live off the land, but they live our women too. If you're woman raise your hand get one but if you're if you know it takes more than just deer to live it takes more to, if they're under 18 get their parents name uh, permission <laughs> but so but you give you a survival knife i just want to thank you for coming to church on opening sunday going back to our story it says you know these guys it says one of them one of them i if you're if you're visiting you know yes i pastor this campus yes i'm add and yes you have to learn to interpret add when you're here. So my mind does that, okay? So now we're back on the story. It says, and one came back with a loud voice saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, but that brings up the question of this. But check out what happened. When he said, thank you, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus looked at him. Looked at him and said, weren't there not ten that I healed? And where are the others? It says, only this foreigner And this is what I have found in my life. Because I've been a Christian for a long time now, that I'm a part of something that a lot of times I take for granted. And this foreigner, this Samaritan, wasn't even Jew, didn't grow up knowing what it was to be the chosen people. He was the only one that remembered to come and give thanks. A lot of times we can be saved so long that we forget that Thanksgiving should be a part of our life. And so Christians stay broken and messed up because God saves them. But because they've been saved, they forget how to return what they were saved for. And so they miss out on the full blessings of God. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and said, you have been made whole. Now the nine, and they may have all been Jude. They were all grew up in the church. They all knew all things about it. God did this great thing for them. They asked God to do it and he did it. And then they went about their lives. But this one, and that's why when you find people that usually first get saved, they're at everything. They're a part of everything. They praise a lot. But it's a, there's a danger that you can be saved so long you forget to do what you were saved for. And then what happens is you forget to come back. And then what? it's just not doing God wrong. It does you wrong. Because what happens is those nine that went and were healed, they were still missing noses. They were still missing fingers. They were still missing toes. And I found this to be true in my own life, that when I have an excuse not to go back and say thank you, in my life, I find myself living saved, still with a broken marriage, saved, still with a you know, bad job, saved, still having to deal with things that God never intended for me to live and I accept it as normal. Because it's real easy 
But when you're raised in and around this stuff a lot, to lose the most powerful thing that God's given you to release the blessing, the one that took Thanksgiving from a thought, an attitude, uh, act, and moved it into an action, the Bible says he was made whole. He got his fingers back. He got his nose back. That word whole means lacking nothing. That means you're coming in and getting saved. Well, enough. You know how many Christians I know that come in when their marriage is falling apart and they get saved, and then they get saved and they, they make Christian life a part of their life, but yet they get real comfortable with it and they just begin to take for granted the actions of living and being grateful to God. They, they got a grateful heart and they got a grateful head, but they never get grateful hands and never take the action. So their marriage will never, God doesn't bring their marriage back together. So they'll just go through life with that brokenness and move into a new marriage and just try to move on with it. But still yet, the fact is they'll find themselves needing God to work that one out too. See, God wants to make you whole, not just save you, not just heal you, but make you whole. And the Bible says that the one that came back and said, Thank you. Took the effort and the action. Not had the attitude or the intention, but took the effort to say thank you. God gave him back everything that he had lost. And so my thing is, why did they not? Why did they not come back? I'm going to give you nine excuses. I see. Then I'm going to dismiss you, okay? Now I'll go through them real quick. Nine people didn't come back. That means there were nine different excuses on why God could not make their life whole. And i got to be honest with you. I don't want to be in one place. I don't want there to be one excuse in my life. God doesn't make my marriage the most greatest, the most amazing marriage on the planet. My job, the most amazing job on the planet. My life, the most amazing. My health, my finances. I don't want there to be a single excuse why God couldn't. So I need to find out why God couldn't in their life. Number one, I believe this. That when the first one got his miracle, and even people around recognized that God had done something in his life, I think he didn't go back because he was busy. I understand what that means. I'm a very busy personality. I'm going to stay busy doing people always tell me, oh, I didn't want to bother you. You're busy. I got to be honest. I tell people I'm busy because I choose to be. I choose what I'm busy with. And so if there's something going on in your life, I need to know it because I can choose to make that what I'm busy with. If you don't let me know that I'm going to get busy in something else. I'm a busy person. I believe this person didn't go back because he was busy. And this is what I've learned. If I'm too busy to go back and say thanks, then I'm too busy. Because what happens in my life is it keeps God from at work. You know, I don't know how many times in my life you can get so busy. You can get busy with friends or get busy with sports, get busy with life. And I've got tons of responsibilities. We have jobs, we have businesses, we have companies. We have Jennifer has a, a, a whole uh, career. We have three children, they school. I'm busy all the time, but I've learned this too. Anytime I'm too busy to be able to come into the house of God and worship where I know Jesus is and say thank you. Like I tell you, I came here today. I don't know what you came here for. I came here to praise the Lord. My little girl's walking. Look what God did. I'm going to give thanks because i got to tell you this. He didn't just want to cause her to be able to walk again. He has a plan at work in her life that when she's 20, 30, 40, she's going to be fulfilling. I'm going to say thank you because I'm not going to limit... Busyness is no excuse. But if I let busyness be the thing that keeps me too busy to come and say thank you, then I'll miss what God has for my life. They were healed. I will be saved. But I won't be whole. Number two, I'm sure one of them said, you know, I can't make it back because I've got a family. I've been separated from them for so long. I've been living in this commune. But now that I'm healed, I've got to go back and be the dad that I'm supposed to and the husband that I'm supposed to. I've got to go back and, you know, give. I don't want to miss the family reunion. I don't want to, I want, you know, got to get together with the family, let them know. I'm going to tell everybody about what God did. Everybody but God. And you go, this is what I've learned too. If I keep my family 
at a place where they keep me so busy from being able to get back to the presence of God and say thank you, it's a matter of time before I lose my family. And what will happen is I'll be living on the side of mercy instead of the side of grace. And if I can't get my family, I, instead of me being too busy with family stuff, I should be grabbing hold of family and getting them to the presence of God. Getting them to where Jesus is. Showing them what saying thank you can do in their life so that as they grow, they will learn the power of the clapper. They will learn that when I praise, God releases victories into my life. And so I can't let families be the, because this is what I found out. If I let my family be the thing that keeps me out and because it keeps me too busy, then I'll find myself back trying to get the mercy of God for my family. I'll be up on a hill hollering, God have mercy on me. My kids are not serving the Lord. God have mercy on me. My kids are sick and going. And so I got the choice. I don't let family. I make family get into the presence of God. Number three, finances. Jobs. I got to work. I got to make my bills. I got to pay. I gotta be honest with you, I work a lot. I used to work for a ministry and the contract I signed with them was 106 hours a week. That's why I am, when me and Jennifer, we uh, went to marriage counseling. Yes, we go to marriage counseling because she's a bad white novel. <laughs> no, we just go make sure we're okay. We go, you know, and I've got to be honest with you, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I need Jesus and I need wisdom in our life. So, you know, a while back, we were, years ago, this has been years ago, we were at a marriage counselor and the guy said, you know, hey, what's the biggest issue you got? And she said, he's a workaholic. And I said, yeah, I'm a workaholic. That's our problem. Because I had pride in being a workaholic. You know what the therapist looked at us and said? There's no such thing. You're not a workaholic. You're not sick. I can't take your temperature and that read it. You've made choices. You've made working. More important than times in your family. Wow, that hit me hard. See, I got to be honest with you. See, I can make my job and my finances more important than what I need with Jesus. But do you know what would happen if my marriage would have fell apart? I would have used every bit of my resources to try to put it back together. And that's what happens when people put finances over the thing of them being able to come back and say thank you. They find themselves having to take all their finances and try to put back together in their life or trying to make things work when the whole time the Bible says, God shall supply all my needs. So if that's your excuse... I believe it was at least one of their. I can't do it because of finances. Can't do it because I got to. I got to go make some money. I can I, I understand if you. We live in a different. Day, if your job schedule there, there, but your job's not making you work every time the church comes together. Or the job's not making you work. You know, when you get home, keep you from watching the service on Facebook. I got to be honest with this. That's just the truth. So you have to decide. Is that an excuse? Is that what keeps you from going and saying thank you to the Lord to release power in your life to be whole instead of just healed? Is it finances? Another excuses? You know. The truth is, a lot of times when God answers our needs and gets our prayer done, we just don't need Him as much anymore. You know, but I got to be honest with you. When I'm in pain, I need Jesus a lot more than I do when I'm not in pain. And I believe when I was like, man, look what Jesus did for me. What a cool Jesus. Now I just can go on with my life because I don't need Him no more. And he didn't realize the very thing that he was exposed to in the world that he was in is still there. And so because Jesus healed him, and I've watched that happen to so many people. So many people, God delivers, set free, heals. And they, they forget the importance of needing Jesus. So what they do is they go back into the same environment that exposed them to it in the first place. And because they didn't need Jesus, they brought down to a place again in life where they're going to need Jesus. That's what you're going to need to understand. You may not need him today, but you will need him tomorrow. And I've learned the lesson in my life. There's not a single day that I can afford to not need Jesus in my life. And so if I have an opportunity to come and say thank you to Him, I better take that opportunity because there's going to be a release of power in my life that I will need to be what God has called me to be. Number five, 
They didn't want to hang out with those Samaritans anymore. You know, that, that's a real, real one because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And they had to hang out together when they were all sick. But when they got a choice to hang out there, I, I love our church, you know. I love the church and the way God's made victory. But, you know, these are the three biggest reasons and excuses I've heard why people won't come to church here at Victory. One, because it's an all-white church. Y'all got a white preacher. You know, that's, uh, we don't go to Victory. We're white. That's a white church. All right. Then I've heard this. We don't go to Victory because it's a black church. <laughs> you know, that's where all black people go. I've got to be honest with you. I don't, you know, that's, that don't fly away. And then number three is this. You know, that church is full of hypocrites. Hear that one? This is my response to that one. Man, that's okay. You come on. We got, we could use, we, we got room for one more. It won't break us. We can handle hypocrites in this church because the thing about it is when you get hypocrites in the presence of God, boom, they change. It's the only hope they have. And so my thing is this. They, this, this may have been a racial thing. They didn't want to go back with that Samaritan. That Samaritan's going over there. I'm not going to go there. I had to hang out with him when we were all sick together. I'm not, if you let racism keep you from doing and thanking God at any level, then you are causing God to be limited in your life. Amen. Number six. The truth is, one of them was probably just tired. You know, he'd been living a hard life, living in a hard place, outside having to scramble. He was tired. But see, this is one of the biggest ones people miss it in their life in. When they're tired. The Bible says, let all those that are weary and heavy laden come to me and I will give them rest. I've got to be honest with you. The most important opportunities and chances I have to get into the presence of God, to come to church and to worship for no other reason, even if I don't even like the preacher, but I got a chance to come say thank you when I'm tired is the most powerful times in my life. Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that, you know, if I will give a sacrifice of praise, he calls it a sacrifice, meaning if it's easy, that's just praise. But there's a thing called a sacrifice. And so when I'm tired and I raise my hands, that is a thank you that I can't give in any other time. That is a glory that God gets when no other time. The truth of the matter is this. Do you know the number one use purpose for the clapper? You know where it was used more than any other place if you do the research on it? It was the nightstand. They would plug lamps up to it beside the bed. Because when people were too tired to get out of their bed and go turn the light switch off, all they had to do was, and miraculously, their need was taken care of. The most powerful times and the most powerful moments of your life of saying thank you will be when you're too tired. Because it becomes a sacrifice. Number seven, I believe somebody probably said, you know what, I'll let him do it for me probably one of the sick now. I said, you know, you're going back. Hey, will you tell Jesus thank you while you're there for me? I got to go take care of this. You need to know something. No one can say thank you for you. No one can praise God for you. No one, no matter. Hey, you, you say, oh, I, I, I don't got to go this week. You know, when we're up here and we're raising our hands and we're praising, that's not for you. We're not doing it for you. Now, we might be praying for you later, but we're not praising for you because I can't do that for you. And God can't release in your life what He desires to release in your life until you come back. The Bible never says those nine that weren't there ever got made whole. Number eight, he was in a relationship. The dude had a woman, and he'd been away from her for a long time. Now he's got a chance. 
to go back and try to get her to meet his need and fix the things that he was lacking, the disease that had to made him lose his relationship and all that. But, you know, now that I got a chance, I can go back. I'm, I'm going to give her all my attention and all my effort. And I've watched it many times and times again. When you let somebody, a relationship, a guy or a girl, keep you from being back in the presence of God, it'll be a moment or a time you'll find yourself on the top of a hill about that same relationship hollering, God, please help me. Have mercy on me. He broke my heart. She let me down. You can't. If you're in a relationship and they're not pushing you to get in the glory of God, to worship and give thanks to the Lord, you're in the wrong relationship. God's calling you and He wants to call your family, not you alone. You'll spend most of your time praying for the one that's not with you. Then you will, you know, saying any other thing when you find yourself in a relationship with somebody that's not wanting to go back to the presence of God for you or with you. Number nine is this. I forgot. I just forgot. Man, I forgot it was Sunday and we didn't set the alarm clock. Man, I forgot it to get up and, you know, put the... I forgot that it was on right then. I forgot. And I've been there. I forget. You know what they're really saying? You're not as high a priority to me as I was to you. You know, when I use that excuse forgot with Jennifer, it's not usually good. You know me. There were two years in a row that I forgot her birthday. I was standing on this pulpit preaching on her birthday one year when I remembered today is her birthday. That was pretty bad. And she was in Alabama. That was pretty bad. And you can't fix things like that because what that says is what I was doing was more important than who you are. Well, let me add one more, okay? Offense. When you allow offense to keep you out, you know, there's another, man, he offended me. She said this when they were up there. Offense? Just letting you know, you're, you're, you're not, we're not the loser. The enemy's convinced you that it's okay just to be healed not to be whole. But the Word of God says this, He will faithfully complete the work. It started in you. How do you get that to happen? Every chance you get, you step into the presence of God. And you say, if nothing else happens today, you're going to get the glory from my lips. I want to say thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I came to praise the Lord because you've been so good to me all that then. And I know this, you don't change. So that means you're only going to continue to be good for me from all on out. And I don't want to live a day without your goodness, your mercy, your grace at work in my life. So I don't know about you, but I came to praise the Lord. And so that will change everything. This Samaritan that was, number one, the wrong race. Number two, exposed to a disease that made him unclean and unworthy and judged by others. And now at the point that he should have never been able to be allowed back in, God touched him, moved in his life. And then the thing about it, he realized God didn't touch me just for me to live the way I wanted. But if I'll come back and I will say thank you every time I get a chance, then I will be the one. If nobody else does, I will be the one. Then God will use what I do and what He does in me to change the world. Because He came back and said thank you today, you're hearing about Him today. You know, I had a whole list of names today of people that were in the Bible. One of them's name was Cubanic. How many's ever heard the story of a Cubanic? Me neither. You know why? 
He was one of the ten that came back with a negative report. Those that fail in the Bible, a lot of times, I had a whole list of the ten that didn't come back. And I promise you, none of you know their name, but you know what they did. They went down in history just being forgotten for who they are, but remembered for how wrong they were. But then there were two, the Bible says. What were their names? Joshua and Caleb. See, their life made a difference, and still yet today it still is. The one that chooses to say thank you when no one else does. The one that chooses to say, God, I'm here in your presence to praise you. If no one else does, they will be the one that God will use to transform their family. God will use them to transform their city. God will use them to... Let me show you again, and I'm I'm done. This This is it. The power of giving thanks is the power of miracles in your life. When Jesus came up and there were 5,000 hungry men, the Bible says that they only had five loaves, two fishes. And the Bible says before he did anything, he looked up to God and he said, Thank you. And then it says he broke the bread and he fed the 5,000. What do you think he was saying thank you for? I think he was saying thank you, God, for doing everything you've ever done before. And so thank you for that. And as I release a gratitude, a, a, a thankfulness, a verb, an action, a voice, a sound, a movement, a clap, God's able to release miracles to flow through me, to change the environment for everyone around me. You say, well, Cricket, I, I don't feel very thankful today. My marriage is dead. My job is gone. The Bible says when he came up to Lazarus' tomb, Lazarus' family saying, you were too late. Lazarus is dead. And he's thinking, your marriage may be stinking today. Your job may be stinking today. But this is what Jesus said. He said, thank you. He didn't say, Lazarus, he said, thank you, Father. He gave God the praise for a moment. And then God used him to call a dead man out of a tomb. Your praise today and every day forward will determine the miracles that work in your life. And so if no one else will, will you? Can, is there a single one in here today that says, God, I want you to make everything I come in contact with whole. I want you to heal everybody I know, save everybody I know, touch everything I know, replace every finger, every toe, every nose, every ear. And God, I know you can, so I'm just here to say thank you. And if no one else does, I will. This is your chance. If you're the one. I made the decision when I was studying this week. I'm the one. But I don't know about you, but I came to praise the Lord. In the next three minutes, you're going to be given a chance to simply say, God, if I didn't get anything out of today, that's okay. I'm just here to praise you and say thank you. Let's lift our voice. Let's release the power. Let's give God thanks.